Welcome to the Be Ruthless Show, where we have the conversations that other people don't, the conversations that other people won't. I'm your host, Sam Ruth, and I'm ready to make a lot of noise and disrupt things ruthlessly. Thanks for being here today. Now let's get to it. Welcome back to the Be Ruthless Show. I'm your host, Sam Ruth, and joining me today is the one and only Julie Latz. For 45 years, Julie was obsessed with and controlled by food. It felt like her life revolved around it. She was a yo-yo dieter, and when she went off a diet, she found herself binging on all of her favorite foods and felt miserably out of control. In 2010, Julie created a simple yet powerful process to finally become free from food addiction, which is detailed in her book, Stop Binge Eating and Start Living Again. She coaches women worldwide on how to stop compulsive, emotional, and binge eating without dieting or deprivation. Don't we all need this? (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I think, you know, I'll just be honest, I've been sharing with the audience, it has been a rough couple of weeks for me. And it's so funny that you said emotional eating, because that's like, okay, feeling down, getting some ice cream. They go together. (laughs) You know, that is so true. We look to self-soothe when we're triggered by someone or something. It's just, you know, certain people turn to food, others turn to shopping or alcohol or whatever it is that soothes them for the moment. But as we know, then we just feel more miserable afterwards. Yes. And and then there's other times where I'm so emotional about something, I have no appetite or I'm I'm sensitive to things. So this is a really important topic because I don't think it interferes for me, but there are people who can't control it and who really do struggle. And again, it's invisible and no one sees it or talks about it. Absolutely. You know, when you, what you just said reminded me that I think of three different types of overeaters and it sounds like you might be the second type. The first type is what I call the nibbler. And that's someone who like my mother-in-law would sit in front of the TV with a bag of nuts or a bag of chips and just eat mindlessly. But then when she was done with the bag, she would get up and get on with her day. And like, it didn't really, you know, she may have eaten more than she wished she had, but she would just kind of get on with her day. That's and then my mother. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe, maybe it was uh, that era. But anyway, a lot of people can relate to that. But then there's the emotional leader, which sounds like what you were touching on. And that's the person who's triggered by someone or something. And they feel, you know, they had a bad day at work, or they got in a fight with their spouse, or, and they feel like I have to take the edge off by turning to food. So they may sit down with a box of donuts, and, you know, feel miserable and disgusting, but they too get on with their life. You know, like it doesn't become a thing, but then there's people like I was for those 45 years and maybe some of your listeners where they are binge eaters and they are truly out of control with, so I would say like all binge eaters are emotional eaters, but not all emotional eaters are binge eaters. Mm -hmm. So the binge eater is really the person who, you know, is sneaking food, hiding food from other people because they don't want people to know how much they really eat. They may cancel plans with people. I know I used to do that because I thought, well, oh gosh, I don't want to see that person because I was probably 20 pounds thinner last time I saw them or, you know, so it's a person who's, it's like they're having an affair with food. And that's what I felt like always going out with my family, wherever we were, I was with them, you know, in physically, but emotionally, mentally, 
I was like preoccupied with, oh, when can I sneak off to the ladies' room to eat the junk food I had packed up in my purse earlier? And I, I can think of a friend as you're saying that. I remember she didn't want people in her car. And the one time I was in her car, it was full of fast food bags because yeah. she would be the one to go run out and grab errands for everyone. She was always volunteering to do the, the errand that no one else wanted to leave the pool to do. That's my tribe. That's exactly the sort of person. And, uh, you know, these people who fit into this category are generally so successful with so many things in their lives. They just can't get a handle on how to stop the out of control eating. It's like, it's maddening. Well, even, even someone who doesn't fit into one of these categories, I'm sure people can relate to just sitting there, like you said, with a bag of something and eating it mindlessly and not paying attention to if you're full, like you just keep going. And my dad is another funny example, but he, he wouldn't have some chips. It was the full bag. Now he's a a lean green, you know, lean man. It never was a problem, but he didn't feel well after. Right. Yeah. So I think, I think whether it's a problem in your life or your weight or not, nobody feels well after eating that way. And then that takes a toll on whatever else you have going on. So how do we get people talking about it? The shame, the sneaking, um, you know, I, I can say, oh my God, I was in a bad mood and I ate the box of donuts, but most people don't say that. That really is the problem. And that's why I'm getting out there on, you know, a podcast like this to let people know you're not alone. This is, this is really a rough thing to go through and people think it's just them and they're afraid to talk to their friends or their family. I know for myself that my problem started when I was like five years old. My mother always wanted me to be on a diet. She wanted me to look thin. So I'd grow up and get married and have children. And she really was obsessed and she meant well, I don't hold it against her, but that led to my eating disorder of binge eating where I would have to sneak food, you know, eat it in private. And so she put me on diet after diet and never understood why my weight would go up and then down. But I was so afraid to tell her that mom, I've got this actual problem because she so much wanted me to be thin. So along the lines of what you're saying, it's really hard for people to fess up about this. And finally, when I was 47 years old, I'm 62 now. When I was 47, I finally said, mom, I need to tell you something. And my heart was pounding. I was just so afraid to drop this bomb. And I said, I just need to tell you that I've been struggling my whole life with something called binge eating disorder. And all I wanted her to do was hug me and tell me, oh my gosh, I wish I knew. I'm so sorry. I wish I was there for you. And instead, her response was, how do you know? Who told you such a thing? Why would you think that? And I just wanted to like hide under a rock because I felt so vulnerable and so unheard. And yeah, so it's it's a tough thing for people to, to discuss. And I think we need to be, it's your mom. You wanna have that conversation. We need to pay attention to who we're leaning on and who we have those first especially the first conversations with, because there are people who will have a response that wants us to curl up in a hole. Uh, But there are other people that will say, me too. Yes. You know, thank you for sharing. I'm everyone's favorite person to go out with because I'm not a drinker. 
And mm-hmm. so they can drink and I can drive. Yes. But it's, it's, it's not widely talked about. I just don't love drinking, but people who are afraid to bring up that issue, again, even just bringing it up, you never know who else in the room will join you. Absolutely. And that is exactly, as I said, why I'm here today to let people know that I hear them. I I get it. I feel like all binge eaters basically are living the same story, even though the, the background of the story, like it doesn't mean they had the mother who wanted them to, you know, look a certain way, but our actions are all the same. And so I really want, you know, about the hiding food, sneaking, Mm -hmm. going from diet to diet, feeling obsessed with it. Um, not being able like this, this way of living, like any other addiction sucks the joy out of daily living. What if we see it early in kids before they would even recognize it's unhealthy? And if it's a child that's not in a family talking about dieting, what, what do we do when we see patterns in others to help out and not criticize or make someone feel worse? That is a really great question. That makes me think about, you know, how would I have liked my mother to handle it um, when I was young? And um, I would like, what what I would suggest is to be able to say specifically to your child, if you're noticing these kinds of behaviors, is to to actually talk about it and come from a place of love and compassion and curiosity, openness, trying to get them to speak about what are they feeling and, you know, saying things like things are not always as they seem. It would seem to me that you're having a rough time, you know, like you, you may go from diet to diet. Tell me how I can help you. Tell me what it feels like to be living this way. There's no judgment here. I just want to help you like Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. If that happened to me, we would not be on this having this conversation now. And I think if you're listening and you are thinking, is this me or is this my sister or brother or cousin? That's all that matters. You don't need to go to a doctor and have a diagnosis. If you have an unhealthy relationship with food and it interferes in any way, then finding other people who get it and who you can have these conversations with will benefit regardless of where you fall on that scale. Definitely. Tell me about your programs and how you've turned this into helping others because I I mean, it isn't a simple thing. I have a client I'm thinking of who changed what she ate but she couldn't change the binging behavior, right? So she would grab broccoli instead of chocolate, but she Mm -hmm. still had the compulsion to have something for years. It it wasn't an easy, I'm just going to change this. It's we're around food everywhere all the time. Right. Which makes it very unlike any other addiction, because if it's smoking or if it's drugs or sex or porn, like you can stop those things, but obviously with eating, you can't. So here's what I found Um, in 2010, as you had mentioned, literally I woke up one morning and this was after 45 years of the craziness that I had been living. I woke up and I was literally petrified to get into bed one more night, feeling bloated, uncomfortable, helpless, hopeless, 
I just couldn't take it anymore. And you could imagine over that amount of years, how many times I was fed up and tried different things. So it wasn't for a lack of trying. It's just, I would go from diet to diet. I would get to the point where I was deprived from whatever the diet was. And that deprivation would lead me back to binging. So it was just a, a, a cycle, dieting, binging cycle. There was something really unusual on that day in 2010, because I knew that there was no way I could get into that bed one more night living this same way. And I said to myself, I have to figure this out today. And I didn't know what that would look like, but all I knew is I had to be happy when I got into bed. So I said to myself that day, if I need to be happy when I get into bed, that means I need to be happy after everything I eat, right? Because then by definition, I'd be happy when I get into bed. And that was my only goal. And it was out of desperation at that point. So I thought, well, what does it look like to be happy after everything I eat? I never thought about that before. Because normally, like as a binge eater, you either get triggered by something or you just want to eat whether you're hungry or not. And so you just go for it. And you know, somewhere in your mind, you're like, you know, you'll be miserable afterwards, but yet you don't really care that much. It's not what matters. You just feel compelled to get your fix. So you go forward with it. But what I started to do is ask myself, well, what, what would it entail for me to be happy when this is over? So I realized that I need to figure out how I can eat my favorite foods in moderation. Like there couldn't be any foods off limits because diet after diet, as I said before, just led me to dieting and binging and deprivation and willpower and all these things that got me nowhere. So I said, I have to um, say that there are no foods off limits. And that was pretty scary because I declared to myself that I need to start eating two snacks a day of things I would normally binge on because the longer I kept staying away from those trigger foods, mm -hmm. the longer I like that would just ensure that I was just on a diet if I kept staying away from them. And as I keep saying, that just doesn't work. So I said, I'm going to try, you know, two foods a day of things I would binge on. And I'm going to stop before just eating them. And I was, believe me, I was petrified to, to even imagine eating anything in moderation because I never knew how to do that. Even what you're saying with your friend with the broccoli, I would overdo everything or I would stay away from everything, you know, like because I was on a diet. So I started to ask myself certain questions. And like the first one was, am I hungry? So I just mm -hmm. have, have like a conscious conversation with myself before everything I ate. And the first question was, am I hungry? Now, as a binge eater, I never thought about it. I never knew what hunger was. It never mattered. But this time I was like, okay, let me just see, is my body hungry? And so if it was, first of all, if it wasn't, then I made the rule, then I don't eat. Mm -hmm. That was new to me. And I was willing to do that. I was willing to listen to my body and, and not eat if it wasn't hungry. That was okay. And then I thought, well, okay, if the answer is yes, then the next thing I have to do is ask, what am I in the mood for? And that got me thinking, well, I don't know. Do I want something that's warm? Do I want something crunchy, savory? Like, what is it my body's asking for? And what I learned down the road from doing this, that sometimes, sometimes our bodies need, is that your dog? That's sassy. 
Um, sometimes our bodies need a certain nutrient. Sometimes it needs a texture. It needs a temperature. It, you know, sometimes our bodies are asking for things, but when you're just compelled to eat and you're going from food to food, you're not tuned in. You have no idea what your body is really needing and wanting. So I was slowing down the process by having this conscious conversation with myself. So I would ask, well, you know, what am I in the mood for? And if I didn't know for sure, I waited until it came to me. Mm-hmm. And then, so if I'd say like, oh, you know, I know that I want such and such, then the next question would be, all right, well, how much of this can I eat and be happy when it's over? Because remember, that's all I cared about. So I decided I needed to follow either something like Weight Watchers or my fitness pal, like, you know, an online calorie counter only because, and the reason I chose those two plans was because there are no foods off limits. Mm-hmm. And my goal was I want to eat healthfully but I need to incorporate two snacks a day. So I did choose Weight Watchers because I needed to pay attention to how many points slash calories, same thing, are going into my body. Because if I'm going to be incorporating these two trigger foods, I, mm-hmm. I don't want to overdo it if I want the weight to come off. So part of being happy when it's over was that I was eating what I was in the mood for in an amount that would leave me satisfied and comfortable. And um, and not bloated and, you know, and not deprived. So I just started asking, there's some other questions, but that's like the general gist. It was the slowing down. It was being aware of what is my body really needing and wanting. And then one other thing I want to add to it is the fact that most of us are guilty of this. And I think you were talking about this before, or maybe I thought you were about how we just, yeah, the whole mindless thing. Mm-hmm. We, were both, we were both talking about it, that I decided I needed to be awake at the plate and I had to pay attention to every bite because if you're multitasking, let's say you're reading something or you're scrolling the internet or your phone or you're watching TV, then when you're done with the food, you say, okay, now what? Because you weren't part of the experience. Mm-hmm. Like I was talking about before with the taste or the temperature or whatever, if you're there, and as I said, awake at the plate, you get to be part of the experience, you get to enjoy the food, and then you don't need nearly as much of it. That's so true. There's so many people that that eat, even when they're midday eating lunch at their desk. And they're still working. It's it's absolutely not the focus, and you're paying attention to other things, and the food is the afterthought. So this, especially for people struggling, it might seem counterproductive. Like, why would I want to focus on calories? I love that you explained that because you're adding in things you would normally avoid, and so immediately, Jim, my my late husband, comes to mind, and he'd be saying can I skip a snack and have pizza, (laughs) right? (laughs) Like your favorite foods as a meal and he, and, and not eat the whole thing. So it is finding that balance. And you said you eat until you're satisfied. So did you need a coach or anyone helping you along the way? No, I didn't. And the reason I didn't is because of the way this whole thing came about. It came out of desperation. It came out of my tuning into myself and just creating this process that felt authentic to me, that felt real, that felt like the opposite of everything I've been doing all, excuse me, all along. 
and being the opposite. That's what I was asking myself is I need to be the opposite of the, of um, a binge eater. What does that look like? Well, it's a person who doesn't give in to impulses and everything was like, okay, so what does that imply? What does that look like? So I created this and I can tell you in a day, by the end of the first day, my life and my relationship with food completely changed. And the reason that is, the reason I can tell you that that's true is because as soon as I started to incorporate these two favorite foods in moderation, so I always like to say, learning how to eat two cookies instead of 22, because mm -hmm. I would no stranger to 22 cookies, boxes, bags, whatever it was. But as soon as I was able to eat two cookies, pay attention to every bite and enjoy it and feel satisfied, that's when I knew, well, if I can do this, why would I ever want to go back to abusing my life and my, you know, my body with food? Like, why would I do it? I always thought I had to, that I had no control over it, that I was compelled to it. And I used to tell my family, I can't help myself, you know, husband and kids, like that I can't help myself because I needed them to understand it was kind of giving me for permission for being this, you know, poor, poor mom, poor wifey, you know, she just can't help it until I figured out that that was a story. It was patterns. It was habits that I created. And I undid that by just even besides even the two cookies instead of 22, what I would do is, um, part of, and I call them tricks to make it stick, which is part of my program. These are the mental activities that I suggest people do throughout the day, some of which I mentioned with the certain questions, but part of it is, um, you know, delaying satisfaction. So if I thought to myself, like I said before, you know, am I hungry? If the answer is no, it was even just waiting a little bit was the opposite of the impulse. Because again, it never mattered what I, whether I was hungry or not. So I used to, uh, early on in this, one of my go-to snacks was a small bag of baked Lay's. And um, so a lot of times I would find at like 10 in the morning, I was thinking, do I want to eat those potato chips now? But I stopped instead of the impulse of just, oh, I can have two snacks. I'll just have it. I would ask myself, will I be happier if I eat this now or if I wait till after I go to the gym or if I wait till after lunch? And just inserting that pause mm -hmm. was life-changing because then I could tell you that 100% of the time at 10 in the morning, I would say, no, I will be happier if I wait till after such and such. Mm -hmm. And so it was seeing myself be able to not do, you know, engage in these impulsive behaviors. That's why it changed immediately because I began to build trust and faith in myself that I didn't have to do what I thought I had to. Is all of this in the book in Stop Binge Eating and Start Living Again? It is every single thing, every step of the way is detailed in that book. And so is that available on your website, on Amazon? Um, it is on Amazon. Um, I've turned it into an ebook, which is not, it is part of one of my programs. So if somebody, you know, purchases a coaching program, they do get the book, the, the ebook, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, it's the same. It's just more of a fun read because there's, you know, pictures and so it's a little bit more updated, but it's basically still step-by-step step what someone needs to do. 
we're human. I'm assuming that there are still days where maybe you don't have more than two cookies, but you eat until you're more full Thanksgiving, you know, times when we indulge a little bit more. How do you um, keep that in a healthy mindset and not let it take you back? I'm so glad you brought that up because I absolutely run into days where I don't feel like doing the work so much. <laughs> and what I tell all of my clients is this does take work every day. And I've talked a lot about the work. It's as simple as those kinds of questions. So this is not hard work. And once people learn it, like it doesn't get harder. It's just a matter of, do you want to do this every day? Um, meaning, are you committed? It's almost like if you have an illness and you take medicine, if you decide like, ah, you know what? I took my medicine all week. It's the weekend, you know, forget it. I'm not going to, then you'll backslide with whatever it is. So anything that you stop doing that made you successful will lead to you not being successful anymore. So I have absolutely found over the years that eh, not so much in the mood, go off a little bit, go up two or three pounds. Now that's a very different person than the one who used to gain nine pounds in three days from eating everything in sight. So now if I go up two or three pounds, I'm like, okay, you know, get, get right back into it. And one of the things I tell, I just told the client this yesterday, that if you find that you're going a little bit off, you know, kind of drawing outside the lines, all you need to do to get back on track, and I do this for myself, is later on in the day, you just do one of these tricks to make it stick. One of the types of questions, one of the activities, and it's not physical activity, it's all like questions that you're asking yourself you do at least one of them before you go to bed. No matter what your day looked like, you do one because then when you wake up in the morning, you're back in it. Mm -hmm. You're not waking up like, oh, what did I do? And I'm thinking of so many of my friends go on vacation and they overdo it or they you know, go off of their normal routine and they come back and they had a great trip, but they feel yucky and getting back to the gym is harder than it was. So- I love that. That's something you can do no matter what you ate, no matter how you feel. Yes, because we all know that feeling when you wake up in the morning and you have this immediate recall of like, where am I in my life? Like, where's my mindset? How am I feeling about myself? If you get like um, infused with this feeling of, oh my gosh, I really messed up yesterday. I don't know, your whole day, then you're like, you're behind the eight ball and you're really trying to like walk uphill with high heels. It, it's just tougher. But if you've given yourself that, just that little bit of a, like, you know, I don't know, self-love of, I can choose to wake up happier tomorrow than I would have, then it's worth it. And I recently, I feel like I just talked about this on a recent episode. Uh, Jim, my husband would do the same thing. There were things that were on his off list. no, pizza was obviously one but if there was a day at 10 11 that he had something on his list he gave the whole day up mm -hmm. right so he had a muffin he was you know that was on his no list well then he had pizza for lunch and pasta for dinner and yeah you know everything <laughs> under the sun because yeah, exactly. he had already gone off course in his mind and so I'm sure there are questions that you could insert throughout the day yes. to avoid that 
Absolutely. Right. Because again, it, it always comes back to like, at least for me and for the people that I work with, you just want to be happy when it's over. So you may want to have pizza. That's fine. How much of it can I eat and be happy when it's over? Just asking that question may make it go from four slices to one and a half or two, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I always, I am a firm believer that eliminating anything a hundred percent is part of the problem. It makes you want it more. It, it, it becomes this huge focus. And I know people are afraid like, oh my God, if I have pizza, I'll have it every day, but it's almost the opposite effect. And you're talking about that by not withholding it and knowing it's there and you can have it, it kind of loses its power. That is so right. I'm so happy to hear you say that because I'm living in a world or like, let's just say a sandbox of people who talk about what I'm talking about and the doctors and the other people in the sandbox don't play by the rules that I play by. And I'm not bashing anyone. Everything works for whoever. And I'm, I'm really not saying anything negative about their you know, opinions or their experiences. But my experience is, because I've heard a lot of people, doctors and everyone say moderation kills. And, and again, that's their experience and, and whatever. But I found moderation is what gave me my life back. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it can apply to anything. You know, there are people who work out too much. Right. Uh, and working out is a healthy thing. If we do anything to a degree that it is, or, or remove anything to a degree that it's interfering and it's part of our life, then I say reevaluate. But again, I'm not knocking anyone else's approach either. There are so many who do it that way, but I personally see those people struggling yes. and still missing those things. Um, so now I, I'm, I'm kind of both. There are certain things I don't keep in the house because if I want it, I'll go get it. I know I'll eat it all. And if it's here, I don't want it on those other days. I'm not in the mood for it. Mm -hmm. And then there's other snacks I can have around and have one or two. But even just knowing those things about yourself, for me, it's health. I don't feel well if I have too much. So why have it in the house and why put myself in that position? Right. But at the same time, you don't have disordered eating. And so you, you have your, your, like your wherewithal to be able mm -hmm. to say that, but people who were, you know, binge eaters, food addicts, out of control eaters, they don't care. Mm -hmm. they, they're not able to have that conscious conversation that you just mentioned you can have with yourself. They're on autopilot, like up oh, today, like you were saying about your husband, oops, today I messed up. Now I'm going to go from this place to that place and eat this and that thing. Can you now have that conversation? Can I have which conversation? The, the one that I just had, like now that you have developed a healthy relationship with food. Yeah. Now my, could you say, my you know what, if I want it, I'll go to the store. Oh, absolutely. And I will, if I want something and it's 30 minutes away but it's what my body's asking for. And I'm really in the mood for, I will get in the car and go there. I do not care. I need to give my body what it's, it wants, but I'm no longer afraid of any food. I'm not afraid to be at a wedding. I'm not afraid to, I'm not afraid of anything. I'm not afraid of getting triggered emotionally. I figured out how to stop the emotional eating part of it. That's so everything. I, I, 
so yeah. many people afraid to go to the Christmas party, the wedding. That's huge. Yes. Yep. I figured it all out because it, again, so much of it has to do with these com- conscious conversations that you can actually have, even though you've never had them before. It comes down to trusting, you know, the thought that I'm willing to try to eat two foods in moderation, obviously staying within calories or points or something, but, but being able to say there could be a different way for me, you know, instead of I can't help myself and this is how I am and it'll always be this way. And let me just see if I can find another diet. There is another way of living. And I think it's amazing that you did it on your own. You reached a point of desperation. I think we would both agree. I hope no one ever has to hit that point. I would love for people to get help along the way before it ever gets that painful. And that's what coaches and people like you are for. You don't have to know how to do it. You just have to know that you want to do it differently. And then there's people who can help you along the way. Yep, absolutely. You know, for the 45 years I was going through this insanity of the yo-yo dieting and food obsession, I always promised myself if I could ever figure my way out of this crazy mess, I'm going to devote the rest of my life to helping other people. So this is a dream come true, come true to watch people get the same kind of results. And, you know, after I had that amazing experience, like within a day, um, the weight started to come off. And over time, I lost 90 pounds. I'm at my goal weight. I eat to live. I don't live to eat. I'm comfortable in my skin and in my clothes. But when this, you know, it took a while to lose 90 pounds, but, and it wasn't a linear process. There was a little up, a little down, but knowing that I wanted to help people, I thought, well, I don't know if this process works for other humans. Like it worked um, incredibly well for me. So what I did is I coached three women for free for a month. And I spoke to each one. I taught them my process. And then I coached each woman for free for a month where we spoke every day, Monday through Friday for a month. And it was like beta clients just to see like, can this actually, you Mm -hmm. know, for others. And they got the same kind of results I did. So that's when I said, I owe it to people who are struggling to get out there and tell them that hope is possible for them. And even just having the conversations, right? There are people who have food hidden because mom and dad say no food upstairs and they're not binge eating. They're just hiding their favorite Tootsie Rolls, right? But yep. we can still have the conversations about why you, why, what can we do to change the hiding, the sneaking, the unhealthy behavior connected to food? And how do people find you if they're thinking, oh my God, I need this. I, I, this is for me, but I don't think I can do it on my own. Yes. It, what people can do is my website is peacefuleater.com. And I offer a free 15 minute consult, which um, there's a link to my calendar on the, I believe it's on the services page. And also on the services page, they can see what I help clients with specifically, as well as two programs that they can choose from based on budget, based on level, you know, the level of support and accountability they want. And there's also on the homepage, there is a free gift, uh, which is 10 tips to stop overeating. And I want to let people know, your, your listeners, that if they choose 
to want to purchase one of the coaching programs, <clears throat> that there's a promo code that they can use to get 10% off. And that promo code is Ruthless10. Love it. Anyone listening, even if you don't think you need to connect on the phone, there might be something on the website that you think would be great for you. So Ruthless10, if you forget, I'll put it in the show notes or you can just reach out and I will remind you. I think it's important. Do you have to be in the same state? Do you work with people anywhere? I, I have been coaching women worldwide. <clears throat> so sorry, worldwide for years. So it's all um, basically what I do now. It used to be phone calls or you know Zoom or whatever. But what I do now is I use Voxer. Are you mm -hmm. familiar with that? So it's like a walkie talkie and we communicate every day you know, Monday through Friday, they fill me in on their wins or their challenges. And it's almost like talking in real time because then I get their message. I respond back to them. And that's what the coaching is because I have found with an addiction, you need daily support and accountability. So that's what I provide. Absolutely. And thank you for saying that. I, I am similar with my clients in that they do not have to wait until their next appointment to reach out. Life happens and that's when they need me. And I don't want to, to, to have our relationship dictated by a schedule. So if you're listening, this is, this is not once a week check in and talk about how you did. This is daily, you know, I'm struggling and I'm looking at the box of donuts. <laughs> right, it's personalized, action-oriented, one-on-one -on -one daily coaching so that people know exactly what to do every step of the way. Now, if a man is listening and doesn't know what to do, since you said women worldwide, can he contact you for a Absolutely. referral? Absolutely. No, no, no. I, I have worked with men and I do work with men. And I just say women because 99% of the people that I work with are women. But I love men and I welcome them with open arms. Um, really anybody who feels like I'm fed up with this. I, I want a way out. Um, yes. So absolutely. Okay. okay. And so the system works the same way. It does. Okay. It's not different for a man versus a woman. Not at all. Love that. Peacefuleater.com. What else would you like everyone listening to know? I guess bottom line is I just want people to know, as I said before, they're not alone and that there is a different way that you can create a happier and healthier relationship with food. And my joy in life is to assist you in not struggling anymore because I want you to live in the body that you want to live in and enjoy the life. You know, now when I go to events with my family, I'm present with them. Whereas, you know, as I said before, I'd be thinking, when can I sneak off to the ladies room? Now I get to enjoy life and I want that for your listeners. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. This is such an important conversation. If you're listening and you want to be a part of this conversation and you don't think your war family or friends will be receptive, reach out. We can start the conversation together and figure out how to take the next steps. I think it's important to find those people that will listen non-judgmentally uh, especially in the beginning before you handle the critics. Yes. And you just reminded me that by all means, anybody can email me at julie at peacefuleater.com. If they don't feel like setting up a 15 minute free call, 
just email me, tell me your thoughts, tell me your issue, ask me a question. And yes, let's get the conversation started. Thank you again so much for being so open and honest with your story and your time. Everyone listening, you can connect with Julie at PeacefulEater.com or Julie at PeacefulEater.com and Stop Binge Eating and Start Living Again is available on Amazon. All of this is in the show notes. Until next time, everyone, have an amazing day and always be ruthless. Thanks so much for listening today. Your support means everything to me, truly. If this podcast resonates with you, please do me a favor and join in the Ruthless Movement by making some noise and doing one of these four things. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Tell a friend so we can break stigmas even faster. Leave a review so people can see what you think of the show. And last, if you want to learn more about me and be a part of the Grief Hub community, please head on over to the Facebook group. We'd love to have you. Thanks again for spending your time with us and see you next week.